Yeah, I'm really excited about some of the stuff that's happening, uh, that's coming up, and uh, so do save those dates, do mark your calendars. Um, one of the things that the, the study, the life, um, I will say that it is, uh, I, I did almost the whole thing last, uh, not last week, two weeks ago, because um, I wasn't preparing for a message, and uh, it is very... Um, 90s. It was uh, put out in the in 1996, uh, so it's it's dated that way. But the material could be done from this stage uh, because right now because it is uh, it is it's about the life, right? It's about the life and living a life in Christ and letting Christ live through you. Um, it really takes uh, from Galatians 3:20 um, about that verse, so you can look that up if you want to see what that verse is all about. But it's a uh, very, very good. Uh, if you do nothing else but watch the videos, watch the videos. Um, but then we would love to have you join us for the discussion Monday nights at 6 p.m., whether that is, like Jeremy said, in person or whether that's through the Zoom. And the Zoom will be with the in-person group. Um, so we want to kind of do it as to, yeah, we're going to try it. We'll see how it works, but we'll try it. Anyway, um, Jeremy already did that announcement, um, so I just repeated it, but I wanted to. So um, let's... Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer, and let's uh, invite the Holy Spirit into this, into this space. Lord Jesus, um, we just thank you for today, and we thank you for the chance to be here. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Um, fill this place with, uh, with the aroma uh, of your presence, God. Fill this place with, with the aroma of your truth, um, and may it be penetrating to our hearts. May it be uh, uh, overwhelming to the point that we can't deny it, and uh, we just... We just invite you in here to fill this place and, uh, and, and, and to, to just consume us, God. Move powerfully. Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. We invite you in. We welcome you. Amen. All right. Um, yeah, so we're going to continue, like Jeremy said, we're going to continue in this study uh, uh, looking at the actions of the apostles. Um, that's why we're calling it Acts of the Apostles. We're doing that by going through the book of Acts. Daniel did a great job last week talking about um, just having confidence and, and confidence in the Holy Spirit and, and confidence that when the time comes to give an account for the hope that we have, like he talked about in 1 Peter 3.15, when the time comes, because the time will come, that we have that confidence in the Spirit to give us the, the words that we need um, to give that uh, reason for the hope that we have, right? Give the reason for that. So I'm excited, or I was excited to hear that message, and uh, it, was, it was really good. Um, this week, we're going to continue going on with this idea, uh, and we're going to find ourselves in the book of Acts again, chapter 6. Uh, and uh, we're going to find out, we're going to look at what, what these apostles do, again, their actions, as uh, some controversy comes up, okay? What, what are the actions, or, uh, or a complaint, I should say, as we, as we get into this. So Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 1, and let's just read it there. It says, Now at this time, as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint developed on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the, uh, in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation and the disciples and said, uh, of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who, may put in, uh, who we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The announcement found approval to the, uh, with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and five other guys that I'm not going to read their names, so you can read them if you want. Um, 
And they brought these men before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. I'm not going to go there. I was going to, but I'm not going to go there, Daniel. We, we had a fun, all right, never mind. That was before church. They brought these men before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. All right? Well, as I was reading this, the first thought that, that came to me was a little bit sarcastic, um, and it was the first from verse 1. And now at this time, as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint developed. And my thought was, no. Really? More people means more problems? As the, as the number of disciples were increasing, a complaint developed? No, not in church. Uh-uh. Right? This thing was growing. That's the point, okay? There were more people. There were more and more disciples added to their number. And just out of sheer statistics, the more people you have, the more potential there is for complaints, right? It's just, it's just statistics because there are more opinions. There are uh, opinions about the way we should be doing things or the things we need to be doing um, and all of that kind of stuff. So, so it's like, listen, it's just, it's just gonna happen. It's just gonna happen, okay? And I like the way that Luke puts it. Um, he kind of puts it politely. He says, a complaint developed. Have you ever been in a situation where a complaint develops? Like, I've been in those situations a lot. Um, and f for me, if I'm looking at how a complaint develops, it usually starts with one or two people, right? There is a complaint that starts with one or two people, and, and it can be completely legitimate like this. It can be a completely legitimate complaint. But it starts with one or two people who kind of notice something's going on, and they're like, you know what? I think we need to change that. I think we need to address that. Or maybe I just need to, to, to take it to leadership or whatever. But what usually happens is it begins to grow. Because as humans, we're not content to uh, keep our grumbling to ourselves, are we? We like to uh, share that grumbling with the people around us. And so we have a complaint in it, and, and, and my grumbling for myself becomes a little whisper in the corner of like, hey, did you see this? Or you notice what's going on? Um, and then we, and, and we bring somebody else and we say, hey, Sam, Sam, look at this, look at this. Have you noticed what's happening here? Have you seen this? Like when they give out food, it's not fair. Pay attention next time. I'm serious. Watch it. And then the next day, Sam comes back and he says, you know what? You're right. I watched yesterday. And it's not fair. And as I was talking to Sally about this, blah, blah, and it goes, you see what's happening, right? It just kind of grows, and this complaint develops, and it just it gets a little bit of steam and, and that kind of a thing, right? And more and more people latch on to that complaint, whether it's valid or not. It can be completely valid, but people latch on to this thing. Um, and it goes from grumbling under the surface to now there's a full-blown, like, we got an issue, you better deal with it. Because in the modern church, um, if you spend any, any amount of time in church at all, you've been in this situation, right? It's not a surprise to you. In the modern church, we, we get to the point with that where it's like, you know what? You deal with the situation or we're out of here. That's what it becomes. We, we let it grow to that point. Um, and so we look at this. A complaint developed, and it's a valid complaint. Well, what do we do with complaints? I don't know how this thing developed with them, but if we're talking just in our context, if there is a complaint, maybe instead of grumbling and starting that whole ball growing, we take it to leadership and we say, hey, um, maybe this is something we need to look at. Leadership then should have the courage to say, you know what? Yes, we'll look at that. And if it's something that we need to deal with, we'll look at it and we'll deal with it, right? So that's, that's the whole thing there. So what do we do with complaints? Well, we take it to leadership. 
guess what? That's what happened here. Now, I don't know how long the complaint developed before they took it to the leadership, but it did get to the leadership. Well, what's the complaint? What are we, what are we, what are, what are we complaining about? The complaint was this group of people was complaining against that group of people because within the church, the widows on this side were being overlooked in whatever kind of food distribution process they had, right? In, 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 order, in other words, in caring for the people who could not care for themselves, there was a group that was being overlooked. And the Hellenistic Jews, which basically means the Jews who were not local, the Jews who were from the outside territories, they were Greek. Um, they had picked up some of the Greek language and they were um, from the outside, had this complaint against the locals, the Hebrew, local Hebrew Jews, right? The Hebrews, um, the native Hebrews, one version says. And those are the people that were just like, they lived in Palestine, they spoke Aramaic, um, they had, you know, they were the local people. That was the complaint. That you, this group is being preferred over this group. And we don't like it. We, we, need to, we need to address it. We feel like there's something going on here. If you remember on the day of Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Spirit came and there were tongues of fire and they spoke in uh, all kinds of different tongues and all different kinds of languages and men spoke up and they said, how is it that these local guys are speaking our language? That's what we're talking about, right? 3,000 people were added to the number that day, to the church that day. People from all over, they're all Jews, but they're added to that number. And so you've got this, it's a multicultural issue. That's what we've got going on here. This culture is favoring themselves over my culture. That's the complaint. That's the argument that's happening here in that way. And I want you to understand, this is a big deal, okay? It's a big deal for this group of people, for these Jewish people. This idea of caring for the widows and the orphans, it's, uh, it's, it's cemented into who they are. It's, there's religious laws that uh, in Old Testament Jewish law, there are laws. You take care of the widows, so this is a big deal for one, one group of people who are legitimately within this group to not be looked after as much as another group. Like, that's a big deal. Um, James, who would, then, who would later lead the church in Jerusalem and who wrote the book of James, when he wrote that book of James, he wrote this, pure religion is this, to take care of the orphans and the widows. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal for them. And to have one group overlooked and not be treated fairly um, in this context is, is, is very significant. So that was the complaint. But this morning, we're not talking about complaints, are we? We're talking about the acts of the apostles, the actions. So what did the, uh, the apostles do? Like, what were their actions in this case? Well, they listened to the complaint, didn't they? And they said, we need to address this. You're right. There's something going on here that we need to address. These men had the courage to say, there is an issue. Let's deal with it. So they called everybody together, and they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get everybody together, um, and we're going to take care of this issue. Go pick from, from yourselves, pick seven men who are going to take care of this issue. You, this is important, you pick seven men from among you, and we're going to pray for them. Um, these men need to be full of wisdom. These men need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you pick them. We'll pray for them, we'll put them in charge, we'll lay hands on them, we'll give them the authority to do this, and it's going to be their task, right? And then they went on. That's how the apostles took care of this issue within the church. And here's what I love about that. 
Here's what I love about the way they handled this, what I love about their actions. There was a complaint that food was not being distributed fairly to those who needed it. It was a legitimate need that existed, wasn't it? Legitimate need. These widows needed help. And this was a really important to the people who were, from, uh, who were Jewish and had those, had those laws that they were um, living in and living with. And how did the apostles act? What did they do? They gathered everybody together. They recognized that there was an issue and that there was a need. And then they formed a committee and they put Matthew, the apostle, in charge of that committee. They, they marked it in, in the church budget as a thing that the church is, is going to take care of. Um, then they went through the process of filtering applications because we're going to have to have a committee. And we're probably going to have to raise funds because we didn't have this originally in our budget. So we're going to have to raise funds now. And then we're going to have to have all these budget meetings and all that. They didn't do any of that, did they? They didn't do any of that. In fact, the apostles were really not involved at all with this ministry. They said, there's a need that's been brought to our attention. So they gathered the people who were involved and who were concerned about the situation, and they said this, you're right, there is a need there. Take care of it, right? You take care of it. Take care of it. Pick You guys pick seven people, not us. We're not going to pick them and don't pick us. You pick seven people from among you who will take care of this. We'll pray for them. We'll give them the authority to do it, and now you can do it. This is what I love about this. The extent of their involvement of the 12, of the 12 apostles was, you're right, there's a need. Why don't you meet it? Right? That was their involvement. This is the 12 apostles, right? And this was a legitimate need. Why weren't they doing it? Why weren't they doing this church ministry? It's a legitimate need. Somebody should care for these widows, shouldn't they? Somebody should make sure this thing is done, uh, done fairly. And the apostles respond with, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. Hmm. How many of you can see this in a modern context, taking place in a modern church, right? In a church where there is a legitimate need where that need is brought to the leadership's attention and the leadership says, yes, people do need food. Why don't you take care of that? Interesting. Our modern reaction is gonna be like, wait, what? That pastor doesn't care about these people. Those leadership, what, they're not involved in this ministry. Why aren't they doing that? They, they must not care. Or do they think they're above it? We're, they said we're, we're not gonna serve tables. Right? Do they think they're above serving tables? Is that what it is? Um, I once was in a church where there was a guy who was really passionate about homeless ministry. And was, uh, when he'd find somebody on the street, he always picked them up. Right? He, was, he was involved with, with the homeless in, in the community. But you know what he always did? He always brought them to the church and he dropped them off. And the pastor in that situation was like, that's great. Good job. You found the need. There is a need there. Why don't you take care of it? Oh, well the, well, the church church has this ministry, and we should do this thing. No. Why don't you take care of it? Why don't, why don't you feed the guy? Well, you know, and this guy had means. He had, he had some money, right? He was really wealthy, but he thought it was the, the church. We'll bring it to the church. And the church, you take care of them, right? That's the church. That's the pastor's job. You feed these people. You counsel these people. You pray for these people in that way. And the response when, when the pastor said, listen, why don't you do that? 
that's a great opportunity for you to be involved. You want, a, you want a, um, a homeless organization or a homeless ministry? Why don't you organize that? Well, don't you care about the homeless? Why wouldn't you do that, right? That's the response when, when the leadership says, that's a perfect thing for, to, for, to, to be done. Why don't you do it? And the response, our, our understanding is like, well, they must not care, right? You must not really care about these people. But listen, that's not at all for these apostles. That's not it at all for these apostles. The apostles make two statements that clarify for them what their understanding is the primary purpose of the church. They say, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And then they follow it with this. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. With those two statements, they are clarifying what they understand the purpose of the church, the primary purpose of the church is. And it's clear that it's not feeding widows, okay? Because if it was, they would devote themselves, the apostles would devote themselves to prayer and to the feeding of the widows. But they said it's not good for us to neglect this to do that. So what is the primary purpose of the church? The apostles say the primary purpose of the church is the ministry of the word. It's the ministry of the word. They say we should not neglect the word of God to serve tables. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. That's the most important thing for the apostles in their understanding in leading this church. Now, I'm not saying all we do is preach. I'm not saying all we do is, is interpret scripture. I'm not saying all we do is study scripture, right? When we, when we look at this, our, our, our understanding, our mind says, when it's the word of God, where do you go? We go to the Bible, right? The Bible, it's the word of the God, the ministry of the word of God. That's our understanding. That's a, that's a, that will be a capital W. This is a little w. The apostles didn't have the Bible. They had some Old Testament scripture. They had to go to the temple to get it and to read it. They didn't have that. So when they say the ministry of the word, they're not talking about the Bible, Right? They're not talking about scripture in that way. So what's, what's, what's the ministry of the word? Okay? What is that? When you look at what we understand to be the word of God, when you look at the Bible and you go through that, when you read that phrase, the word of God, it can mean a couple of different things. Number one, it's something that God has decreed. Okay? That's the word of the God. Thus saith the Lord, right? This is the word of God, something that he has made a divine pronouncement about. God said this, that's the word of God, okay? So it's his word going out. Or it can be um, God speaking personally to an individual, whether that's for a prophetic statement later to a group, or it can be God spoke to that person. The word of God came to this person. So the word of God came to Elijah. It's a prophetic word, okay? Or it can refer to Jesus himself. Now, that would be a capital W, but we know from John, the word was with God and the word was God in the beginning, right? All of those things. Jesus is referred to the word. So the ministry of the word of God is not what we're talking about with scripture. The ministry of the word of God that the apostles are saying is the primary purpose of the church is the ministry of telling, of showing, of demonstrating what God has said and what God has decreed, what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. The ministry of the word is telling, showing, demonstrating what God has decreed and done. So what has God decreed? What is the word of God? 
This is where it gets good, all right? God has decreed a new covenant. Hebrews 8, or excuse me, Hebrews 10, verse 8 uh, through 10. When he, that's Jesus, when he said above you, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. And then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Two things, burnt offerings, sacrifices, which are done under the law, and your will. Okay? Two things. He said, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus said it's finished. He said it's finished. There's no more sacrifices needed. Once and for all. No more sacrifices needed. He said you've not taken pleasure in the things of the law. He did away with the old covenant in order to establish the new covenant. You can't have two at once. He established the new in order, or he did away with the old in order to establish the new. He said you didn't take pleasure in it. God didn't take pleasure in the law. That's not what God wanted, right? He didn't set out to say here's a set of rules that you need to live by in order to have a relationship with me. That's what Israel asked for. When God offered them a face-to-face personal relationship, they said, no, we're afraid. Put something between us. And he set out the law. Set out the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant in that way. He didn't want that, but he introduced it. He gave it because that's what Israel asked for. But Jesus did away with it. We don't need it now. It doesn't add anything to our relationship with God. It doesn't add anything. God has decreed that way is done. He has decreed performance-based relationship with God done. That's what that is. That's what the law is. It's performance-based relationship. If you do these things, we're in good, right relationship. If you don't do these things, we got to talk. Performance-based relationship. Jesus said, that way is done. I got a new way. And the new way is grace. The new way is total dependency on God for everything. You can't do anything. It's total dependency on God. Grace. So the ministry of the word is telling, showing, and demonstrating that God has brought a new way in Jesus Christ. Not the old Mosaic law. It's a way of grace. It's a a way of total dependency on God for everything. What else has God decreed? What else is the word of God? In Ephesians 1, verse 3, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us as adopt and adopt. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He decreed. His word is that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing that exists in the heavenly place. We are blessed now. Not we will be blessed, but we are blessed now with every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places. He decided that before creation. That's what it says. He determined it before, that it was worth it. He was, you and I were worth 
whatever it would take to make us his sons and daughters, that he adopted us, he decided beforehand that he would do it and that he did it. And he decided that because of him and in him, you right now stand holy and blameless. Blameless. There is no blame that can stand on you and I because we're in Christ. That's your spiritual condition right now, holy and blameless. It doesn't matter what your sin was. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter what your sin will be. In Christ, the reality of your spiritual condition is holy and blameless right now. What else has God decreed? We could go on. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, Romans 8. We are completely new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. We can go on. That's the word of God. And Jesus gave the authority to the apostles to take that message, to take that, uh, 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 that, yes, that message as witnesses of the resurrection because this is all possible. All of this that God has decreed is the truth, is possible because of the resurrection. That's resurrection life. Before he ascended, he said, you're going to be my witnesses that I am raised. You're going to be my witnesses in all of the earth, not just to the fact that he was raised, but witnesses to the resurrection life. This is the word of God, the resurrection life. That's the word, the ministry of the word. The gospel is the good news of the resurrection and the life that we have with God because of it. And the primary purpose of the church is the ministry of that good news. The ministry of the news that what Christ has done for you and the truth that he's living through you. Let me tell you, that is a message that is very different than a gospel of behavior management. That's not good news. Behavior management is not good news. It's a very different message than living a life as a Christian who believes that God has paid for all my sin, and because he's paid for all my sin, now I better buck up and get my act together and behave appropriately because I want God to be pleased with me too now. Listen, that's not the word. That's not what God has decreed. God has decreed what we just read, that you are holy and blameless in him. The ministry of the word of God is the ministry of the expression of what the resurrection really means. Life. And that means life with God is a reality in Christ. That's what we mean when we talk about relationship, okay? Relationship. I've been thinking about this a lot this week because of some conversations I had. And the thought occurred to me, um, th this thought, right? How many times have you heard somebody say, I want to live for God, right? That's a, that's a sentiment, right? I want to live for God. I want to live for him. I've heard it a lot um, as I think back at camp, you know, summer camp. We have campfire night, the final campfire night, Friday night, Thursday night, whatever week it is. And uh, we have the invitation for people to accept Jesus and accept what he's done, to become new, to be made new. We have that invitation. 
and some kids come. We also always had the invitation if you wanted to rededicate your life to God, if you wanted to, to do it, if you wanted, essentially, if you wanted to be serious this time. Um, you'd been saved, but you, you went home and, and you messed it up again, right? And we would always have kids that would say that phrase, you know, I really want to live for God this year. I really want to live for God. I really want to do it right. I tried last year, but I messed it up. I want to live for him. And I understand that sentiment to a degree. And I understand because I used to use that kind of phrasing. But this week, as my wife and I were talking, it kind of came out. I didn't even think about it. I just kind of said it was like, I don't want to live for God. I want to live with God. I want to live with God. Those are two different things, for God or with God. One one of them is me down here being thankful that he saved me, but doing his bidding while he is over there doing something else. And I'm trying to do these things for him. I'm trying to accomplish his purposes. Um, I'm trying to to keep him happy or make him happy because I want him to be pleased with me, right? I want to get home and I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's that's my goal. That's what I want to do. I'm living for God so that that is my end result. I want to live for God, right? That's one way. I want to live with God. Living with God is walking now in the understanding that it is a reality that I am actually in Christ right now as he is in me right now. I am fused with Christ. We are one. I am fused with him. And there is nothing in this world or in me that can separate me from him or his love. I'm living in eternity right now. I'm experiencing every day with him before me, with him behind me, with him to the right and to the left, with him living through me, living with God. I want to live with God. There is not a step on this planet that I am experiencing without him, with him, with God. And I really believe that's the life that he's offered us in Jesus that we get to live with him. And that life is possible because it's the resurrection life. It's the life that he designed for humanity from the beginning. That's what he designed for us from the beginning, from the very start. He was not, when he created Adam and Eve, he was not off over there somewhere else. He was with them living with them. And he's not for us, he's not off over there somewhere else while we work to try to get to some end goal so that while, while, while we can, or excuse me, he's not off somewhere else trying to, for us to try and get to some end goal, for us to try and work for some kind of a ending prize. Listen, he is the prize. He is the prize. Life with him is the prize. That's why he came to this earth and he died and he rose again. So we could have life with him. That's what he set out to do in the garden from the very 
beginning, to have life with him. That's what he wants for us right now. That's relationship with God. That's what we mean when we say a relationship with God. And not a lot of people understand what that means. You know, when we say, when we, when we get saved, it's like, do you want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, yes. Not a lot of people understand what that means. And I think it's because we've done a bad job of explaining or portraying or whatever, uh, giving it, living it as an example of what that means. We often turn it into something else. So the apostles, when they're brought this complaint within the church of the things that, you know, this church, we, we need to do something differently. We need to function differently. They say, that's great. You're right. Find somebody who is passionate about it and who will do a good job with that task. But we aren't going to neglect expressing the resurrection life, the reality of life with Christ in order to serve tables. We're going to stick with this. This is the priority of our church, to share what it means to have life with God. They weren't above serving tables. You understand that. They were not above serving tables. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, that's not our primary ministry. That's not our primary reason for existence. It's not the thing that Jesus gave us to do in leading this church. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that they, they didn't see the need for widows to be fed or to be taken care of. They did see the need, and they addressed the need, right? They addressed it. They didn't ignore the issue, but what they said was, you're passionate about it. Clearly, let's, let's, let's do something about this. Let's pick some people to make it their ministry. But we're not going to distract or we're not going to take away from our mission of teaching, demonstrating, and revealing what life in Christ is. The leadership of the church is not going to focus on that. We want to focus on bringing the word of life to people. So you might be asking, okay, well, how does that work in church? Like, what, do, we just, do we just then um, teach and preach and not meet people's physical needs? Do we, not, do we not do these other things? That's not what I'm saying at all. Because being a witness to the resurrection, being a witness to the life with God, sharing the, that word of God, the things he said and done, it's not an intellectual exercise. It's not just a verbal teaching. It comes with power. It comes with power. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to this resurrection life, and the Holy Spirit will come on you with power. The ministry of the word comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. See, many people want to talk about evangelism. They want to talk about getting people converted to Christianity. And what they're really saying is, I want to convince people that this worldview is right. This worldview is best. And tell people that God wants you to live and to behave in this way. That's essentially what it boils down to for many of us. But the apostles pr approached this ministry of the word differently than that. The apostles showed what the good news of the resurrection meant with the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles had an outreach program. They did. You know what the outreach program was? 
It wasn't a food pantry or a soup kitchen. How about this? In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That was their outreach. Because that is what resurrection life means for us. Life as it was meant to be. Life with God. Life with the Spirit. Seeing what God is doing and partnering with that. Walking into a situation and see, I see God doing this, and I'm going to speak it in this situation. The Holy Spirit is moving, and I want to partner with that. It's life with God. To experience the power of God, the wholeness of God, being made right in Him, walking in the reality of Christ, living in me and living through me. That was their outreach program. The resurrection means the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I leave, when I ascend, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus has ascended, and he sent the Holy Spirit. See, the thing is, this ministry of the word is all-encompassing for your life. It's not a thing that you do on Saturdays. It's not a set of rules that you live by. It's not a worldview to spread. It's an, ex- an expectation and an understanding, a growing understanding that you are in Christ just as he is in you, just as he is in the Father. Jesus prayed that. He said, make them one like we're one. And if Jesus prayed it, pretty sure it happened, right? If Jesus prayed it. That's the purpose for the church, the ministry of the word. We are witnesses to this resurrection life. So for me, as I look at this act of the apostles, and I consider what it means for our church, we're just going to keep doing what we can to grow in our understanding of what resurrection life is, to grow in our understanding of what it means to actually be made new. And as we do, as we grow in that understanding, we're going to do more and more not to neglect the ministry of that word. I'm not interested in doing things because churches do those things. I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm not interested in those kinds of things. If, if we do something, I'm going to run it through the filter of, is this a ministry of life? Is this the ministry of the word? And if it doesn't, then I'm determined to let somebody else do it. And it can come from within the church. I'm fine with that. If we want to start a homeless ministry within this church, I'm fine with that. If we want to feed people, that's great. It can be organized from within the church, but I don't want to neglect the ministry of the word of life by doing something else. And maybe a homeless ministry becomes a part of that ministry sharing the word of life with people who don't currently have a home, right? Maybe that's an extension of it. But we're gonna run it through that filter. Because here's the cool part. We stopped reading in verse six. Let's read verse Acts, Acts chapter six, verse six and seven again. So that is the, the, the apostles make this decision, right? They say, yeah, you do it. That's great. Let's organize some people. We'll give them the authority to do this. In verse 6, and they brought these men before the apostles, and after, laying, and after praying, they laid hands on them. So they gave them the authority, the authority to do this. The word of God then kept spreading. 
Because they said this, the word of God kept spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The apostles said, we're not going to be distracted by this other ministry. This is great. You guys take that on. Organize it. Do do it. But we're not going to be distracted by this other opportunity. And what happened? Well, the word of God kept spreading. Because they said, we're not going to be distracted by that. The word of God kept spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. This message of life with God, this word is real life. And it's real life that people need. People who are lost need it. People who are burnt out from the church need it. And when we live this message of real life in the power of the Holy Spirit, the number of disciples will increase greatly. Because this is a message of what life is supposed to be with God, with God. See, if our focus becomes something else, whether it's politics and getting involved with politics and making that a purpose in our church, or whether it's a social movement where we're doing whatever, protesting or whatever, as a function of our church, when that becomes the primary purpose of our church, whether it's church growth, right? Building the kingdom of the church. If that becomes our focus, then people aren't gonna get the message of this life with God. They probably will miss out on the truth of life with God rather than life for God. Because they're going to understand that those things is what it is to be a Christian. But we have more than that. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Not just to be saved, not to live for God, but to be made new and to live with God. That's what it means to know Christ and have the power of his resurrection in you. And to show others that that's what he's done for them. That's the ministry of the word of God. And that's the primary purpose of our church. That's the primary mission of our church to share this life with other people. And we do that in our individual circumstances, and we do that corporately. But that's going to be the primary mission of this church. So as we talk about this study that's coming up that I'm excited about, kind of fits. It's the life, right? What does that mean? What is the life that Christ has offered us? What What is the life that is available to us? Had another conversation this week where we were talking and it led me right back to the image of, of a giant mansion and choosing to live in the laundry room because we don't know that the other parts of the mansion exist or we're afraid to step out of the laundry room because it's not familiar. The life is the entire mansion, right? And the lawn and the beach that it sits in front of, right? That's the life. So as we talk about this study about the life and getting into what the life is, that's what we're going to talk about. What, is it, what does it mean to have Christ live through you? What does it mean to be in Christ and to, to, for Christ to be in you? All of those things. It's really incredible. 
It's really not a new message for us. We've been talking about it for a year and a half now, right? It's not a new message for us, but it puts it in different words that I think it'll help some people to understand it a little better, to get it, to grab a hold of it, really press into it. So this morning as we think about that, maybe, maybe you want that life. Maybe that phrase, living for God or living with God, really caught your attention. Um, can we pray with you about that? I'd love to pray with you about that. I'm going to go to the back of the room um, and stand for a little bit. And if you want to pray about that, you can make your way back. But let's just, uh, let's just sing this next song. The next song, the, the first line is, you are life, right? Or you, you give life. I don't remember. It talks about the life. And it's the life. This is what we're talking about, people. Life with God. Life with Christ. So why don't you stand up to your feet and, and let's, uh, let's sing a little bit more.